we are starting a new series of messages uh, today called Sila. Um, and this has uh, been something that's been in my heart for a long time. And I just felt like this was the right time to talk about it. You know, isn't it, isn't it crazy to think that this is the last Sunday of uh, November in 2021? Isn't that crazy? Next, like in the next couple of days, it's going to be December, right? I mean, is anybody else this year has just, in the, on the one hand, it's gone so slow, but on the other hand, it's gone so fast, right? You just look up one day and it's like, oh my goodness, it's December tomorrow or in the next few days. And it's sort of blown my mind how the end of the year has just uh, crept up on me, but but you know what, you can sort of feel it in the air. You can sense it when you talk to people, uh, that people are ready for December. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've had conversations with a few friends, and, um, and it's come up. It's like, oh, I'm so ready for December. I'm so ready for the holidays. I'm so ready for a break. I'm so ready for rest. Amen. Kids are like, oh, I'm ready for these exams to be over. I'm ready for school to be over. Mom and dad are like, I'm so ready for school to be over. I'm so ready to get over, you know, stop having to drive you to school early in the morning and pack your lunch. And, and we all say that for a few days. And then it's like, oh, when is school going to start again, right? It's the same pattern that we go through every year. But we get to that place, right? We get to that place in our year here in South Africa where we look towards December. We're ready for uh, that break. We're ready for some rest. We're ready for time uh, with our family. And, and this is a wonderful time of year. It's a wonderful time of year uh, because of the holiday, but it's also a wonderful time of year because we have the opportunity to pause we have the opportunity to reflect and to recharge and ultimately uh, to reset our lives before we enter into a new year. Well, everything, everything in the world needs a reset, doesn't it? How many of you have ever owned a, a piece of technology and it starts to not work correctly and, um, and you do everything that you can do to get it to work right? And then you reach out to maybe somebody else or you call technical support and you call them because you want help. And what's the first thing that they ask you? Have you reset it? Have you turned it off and turned it back on? Anybody else besides me? Oh my goodness. And it's like, why are you? Of course I know that everything needs a reset. Of course I know that the, the first thing that you do when something's going wrong is you turn it off and you turn it back on. And, and then, of course, uh, the next question is, well, have you done the update yet? Well, sometimes they get me there because I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm one of those people, I'm like super suspicious of the update, right? Like everything on my program is working perfectly and I'm scared to do the update because if I do the update, I may change something about the program. Then everything that I have figured out, I won't have figured out anymore. Am I the only one? Probably the, everyone under 40 is like looking at me like I'm crazy. But everybody over 40, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Because you just now got that sucker working right. You don't want to change anything. But everything needs a reset, everything needs a reboot, everything needs an update. That's just what happens. That is the rhythm of things, and things work better when they have been reset. So we're going to be talking about reset. We're going to be talking about 
Selah. We're going to be talking about that time, that moment, that season where you pause, you stop, you refresh, and you reset everything. Everything works better with a reset. Um, I don't know about you, but but for me, as I'm looking towards this end of the year, it really is a time that I probably like no other time in my life I've been looking forward to uh, this reset. I mean, because it's been a long, hard season, and I'm looking forward to a time to pause. I'm looking forward to a time uh, to reflect, to look back on what God has done, to consider what he's done in my life, and to really allow my batteries to recharge, my system to reboot, my uh, my firmware to update it. So I'm looking forward to that uh, probably like I never had before. And I don't know if it has anything to do with just what we've gone through um, in the world over the last year or if it has to do with my age or the season of life I'm in. But I probably have been more excited about this time of rest than, than any other time. Uh, we, Desert and I have been laughing a lot about it because where we're from... Um, where we're from, things don't really like shut down in December and January like they do in Southern Africa. So 10 years ago when we moved to Southern Africa uh, for the first time and it was coming toward December, it was coming toward the end of the year, um, I'm, I'm kind of, um, I have a tendency to be a, a workaholic. I have a tendency to, uh, to, I just like to work. I like to get stuff done. I like to do so at a high pace. And so we were coming toward the end of the year and, and the folks that I was working with kept trying to explain to me, well, if you, you know, if you want to, if you want anything, you better, you better buy all your materials ahead of time and you better realize that, that everything's going to shut down. And I, I just could not comprehend what they were talking about. And I remember the first couple of years of living in Southern Africa, when we would get to about mid-December and things would start shutting down, I would get so frustrated. I would get so upset because I'm like, hey, there are, there are 12 months in the year, not just 11. Let's keep working. Let's get things done. Because productivity is a, is a value for me and it's a part of who I am. And so I could not really comprehend. But I have to tell you, after 10 years of being here, I'm like, baby, I can't wait till December 15th. I've just kind of slid right into this Southern Africa lifestyle where I'm like, uh, you know, you all can work 12 months out of the year. I can get it done in 11. Because there's something about that refreshing and that resetting that takes place. And, and so we're going to talk about that. And we're going to use this word that you may or may not have heard of. Uh, it's in the Bible. It's been there from the beginning and long before Kanye wrote a song called Selah. And famous people started naming their children that. It's a word that's in the Bible. But it's a mysterious word. And if you read from a modern translation of Scripture, you may not find it in your Bible. It's actually, actually in the original text, in the original language. You'll find it 70, uh, 74 times. It's found in the book of Psalms uh, 71 times. And it's found in the book of Habakkuk three times uh, in chapter 3. And it's in the original language, it's the only time you'll find this word selah. And the reason that some of you who read for more modern translations may not find it in your Bible is because a lot of modern translators have left the word selah out of, out of modern translations. And the reason is because there, there is no actual uh, translation of the word selah. It's a mysterious word as translators have tried to translate it from the original language into 
other languages, they can't really find an adequate word. And so as a result, it's been left out. But don't panic. It's not like they've changed scripture. It's because the word selah, what makes it so mysterious and so strange, and the reason that it's left out of many translation is because it's not actually there to convey, to convey a word or to convey meaning to us. In fact, the word selah, uh, how many of you here are musicians, or you've been in choir, or you've been around music? Let me see your hand. Come on, this is participation time. Raise your hand up high. Yes, Desiree, go ahead and look around for worship team, new worship team members and band members. If you've been around music at all, and come on, I know your school system, you guys all got to sing, you got to do stuff. Uh, you're all not raising your hands, but I know at least at some point in your life, been around music a little bit. Well, Sela is actually a musical notation. The reason that you find it so rarely in scripture and the reason it's found in Psalms and in the third chapter of the book of Habakkuk is because Selah is actually a notation to the person who is playing the music or performing the psalm or in the case of Habakkuk, the song of prayer that is found in Habakkuk chapter 3. And it is a notation that literally means musical interlude. It means stop singing and let the music play. To put it in modern terms, it's kind of like a big note that says, guitar solo time. That's really le legitimately what it is. It, it means here's a moment in the performance to cease from singing, let the music play so that the audience and the people who are singing can stop and reflect on the words that have just been said. It's like that moment in the song where the guitar solo plays and, and you, I mean, we, we all have our favorite songs. Those of us who really enjoyed music in the 80s, we know that's when the best music was. And all the best music in the 80s had what? It had a, it had a killer guitar solo, right? Yes. And it was in that guitar solo that you really felt the words of that song. You know, that love song that you dedicated to the girl on the radio. Like, it, was in, it, was, it was in the guitar solo that it became real, right? It was in the musical interlude that the words began to soak in. That's really what Sila is. It is pause from singing for a moment and let it sink in. Let the words and the power of this moment sink in and reflect on the truth that's being conveyed by this song or this prayer in the case of Habakkuk. Well, we're going to use this word Selah uh, for the next few weeks really to convey a concept that I, I believe is very clear that God wanted us as his people to understand. He himself instituted Selah moments. He himself instituted moments to stop, to pause, to reflect, to ponder, to rest in the goodness of what we knew to be true. And we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks because there's implications for your life and for my life. Well, when we consider Selah, we have to understand that, yes, it was, it's a musical notation, but it conveyed a concept. And the concept was pause, reflect, reset, be refreshed. And we find this concept being taught to us by God from the beginning. In, in the book of Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says this, On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. 
and he rested on the seventh day. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Let me repeat that. He blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Think about this for a moment. God, on the seventh day, rested from all of the work that he had done in creation. Now, we know truth about God. We know that God is omnipotent, right? God is all-powerful. God, There is no lack in God. So when you open your Bible and you read Genesis chapter 2 and you see that God worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested, it has to cause you to pause for a moment and to say, what's going on? If God is all powerful, why does God need to rest? I mean, did, did God like physically get worn out? Did he mentally or emotionally get worn out after six days of creating stuff? I mean, creation's a big deal, but do we really believe that God in his omnipotence needed physically, emotionally, or whatever to be recharged or refreshed? What's the deal? Do you think God was like, oh man, I'm so tired after doing all that, I got to kick back in my celestial lazy boy and rest a little bit oh we know that god in his omnipotence god is all powerful doesn't physically need rest but but genesis chapter 1 verse 31 gives us a little bit of insight it says this on the sixth day so when god completed making everything that had ever been made on the sixth day god saw that he had made and it was very good. So I want you to think about this. I want this to sink in. After six days, God sees everything that he's made. He looks around and he's like, oh, let's just take it all in. Let's just pause for a moment. This is good. I mean, look at... Look at the oceans, they are beautiful. Look at the sky, it's breathtaking. Look at man created in my image. Oh, this is good. Let's stop for a second and consider everything that we have done. Let's just take it all in. Let's breathe it all in. See, Sabbath wasn't about rest as you and I think about it in terms of a, a ceasing from work so that our bodies can physically be recharged, although that's a part of it. Sabbath, as God initially created it, was about pausing and about taking it all in, was about reflecting on the beauty of that which had been created. It was bigger and more than, oh, I'm tired, let me kick up my feet in the lazy boy. It was about, let me take a moment to appreciate all that is beautiful and all that is good. You may say, Pastor, why are you teaching us this? Well, I'm teaching you this because Sabbath was important to God. 
He made a big deal about it, and he made a big deal about establishing it in the lives of his people. But unfortunately, Sabbath, Selah, has become something more or something different than what God created it for. We've turned it into something that is legalistic. We've turned it into something about controlling people and places and circumstances. All the while, what it was really all about, it was about a God who had created something that was beautiful and good. And he said, let's stop and enjoy it for a minute. Let me enjoy the work that I've done. Let me enjoy the good things that I've created. Let me share in the beauty of what has been done. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about Selah, and we're going to talk about what God has established for you and I, because Selah, rest, is not just about ceasing from work. It is about pausing. It is about reflecting. It is about admiring all that God has established for us. So God created Sabbath, and get this, then he invited his creation Specifically, he invited you and I to enjoy it with him. God commanded his people to stop their labor so they had time to take it all in. He commanded his people to stop their labor so they would have time to reflect so they would have time to enjoy, so they could be refreshed by the beauty of creation. So they could be reset in their hearts and their minds and their spirits and their imaginations because of what had been done. God also, um, as he established the nation of Israel, we know, we know for a fact that he told them to Sabbath every seven days. But if you really study scripture, it really wasn't about a Sabbath. It was Sabbaths. Several times a year, God established festivals among his people, and he commanded them to honor those festivals as continued Sabbaths or additional Sabbaths. Again, we do this well in South Africa. How many holidays do we have in South Africa? Like 27? I'm telling you, it blew my mind. I'm a workaholic. I, when we first moved to Southern Africa, I would get so frustrated because every time we'd be doing work, you know, we would build tabernacles or, or, or we would build orphan homes. Or we'd be doing all this stuff. I'd be trying to get something done. And everybody would be like, oh, we're not working tomorrow. It's a holiday. I'm like, it's a holiday like every other day here. And at first it frustrated me so much, but I promise you it has taught me something. It's taught me about Sabbath. It's taught me about the rhythm of life that God has called me to. I had it all wrong in my life. I thought it was all about what I could do and what I could accomplish. On the other hand, what God teaches us through Sabbaths is that he is God, that he is control, that he is in control, and that we are not. And so he called his people to a lifestyle of Sabbath. So there was the seven-day Sabbath. There was the Sabbaths of holidays that were, that were celebrated through the years. And every seven years, there was a year of Sabbath for the land. So remember, most of them were, it was an agrarian culture. And God said to them, you're not to plant every seven years in your field so that the field could rest. Then, then every 49 years, there was an entire year of Sabbath in which everything, the whole Economy rested. Now we're going to get into that a lot further because this concept, of, this concept of Sabbath is a lot more than just going to church on Sunday and having Sunday afternoon dinner with your family. That's not what Sabbath is. 
Sabbath is about a lifestyle. It's about a mindset. It's about a people who understand who's in control. It's about God establishing boundaries in our lives economically and socially for our good, not so that we can be controlled and manipulated, but so that we can live in the blessing of the best that he has for us. God's serious about Sabbath. I want you to know something. I want you to notice this. God had worked for six days. He had been busy making stuff. He established and he designed, he created order. But look at the very first thing that he called holy. The very first thing that he called holy was Sabbath day. On the seventh day, he ceased from his work and he called it holy. It was this day, this day to stop and admire all that had been accomplished. It was this moment, this mindset, this rhythm, this discipline of a day that he called holy first. Now, listen, you were created in the image of God. You're the apple of his eye. He loves you. He gave his life for you, but he didn't call you holy first. He didn't consecrate you first. You got to let this sink in for a minute you got to get how important Sabbath is to God. The first thing they called holy was not a temple. It was not an altar. It was not a place of worship. The first thing that God called holy, the first thing that he set aside as holy was Sabbath. That's how significant and how important Sabbath was. It wasn't me. It wasn't you. It wasn't a place. It wasn't a thing. But it was a mindset. It was a rhythm of life. It was an idea and an understanding that he is God and that he's in control and all things are in his hand. And then because he's a good God, because he's a loving father, because he looks at you and he looks at me and he knows what is best for us, he asked us, he invited us to join him in the very first thing that he called holy. He asked us to join him in the very first thing that he made sacred. He invited us to join him in rest. This is significant for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ because we understand that ultimately the work of Christ is to to empower us and release us to live in rest in relationship with God. All of it is linked. All of it is linked. We know very clearly and and um, we can tell this from scripture, if you remember as the children of Israel were going through the wilderness and they were coming out of Egyptian bondage, when they came to the mountain, Moses was giving them the law. We know that the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments was what? Don't forget the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Not make it holy. God's already made it holy. Keep it holy. There's a whole thing there that I don't have time to preach about today. You and I don't make things holy. He makes things holy. We keep them holy because he's already made them holy. But you just go ahead and just think about that. Just let that ruminate inside of your spirit this week. God said, keep it holy. I've already made it holy. Keep it holy. That was the fourth commandment. But what you and I have to recognize and understand was that Sabbath wasn't established In the law of Moses, in fact, before the law of Moses was given in Exodus chapter 16, as the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, remember God gave them manna from heaven, 
Before the law of Moses, God gave them manna from heaven, and they were going out every day, and they were collecting their manna, right? And God said, tell, he said to Moses, tell the people that they should gather the manna for six days, but on the seventh day, they're not to go out and gather manna. In fact, they're supposed to plan ahead and gather enough manna on the sixth day so that when they get to the seventh day, they can just rest. They can just reflect. They can just enjoy. They can just be recharged. So even before the law of Moses, Sabbath was established. That's a significant point, again, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. It helps us to understand that Sabbath is something that was created from the very beginning of time. Sabbath was significant and it was important because God said, I want you to understand, I am your God. We're talking about Selah. Selah is a lifestyle of pausing, reflecting, and resting. Selah is a lifestyle of pausing, reflecting, and resting. It is in that pausing, reflecting, and resting that we are reset so that we can move forward and be the people that God has called us to be. But from the beginning of time, there's been a tremendous amount of confusion about Sabbath. Remember, as I said earlier, it was the fourth of the Ten Commandments. It was included in the Law of Moses. And so from the time that it was included in the Law of Moses, the, the religious leaders... And ultimately, the Pharisees just continued to add on and add on and add on to the commandments about Sabbath. And Sabbath became a lot more than what God intended it for it to be to his people. Instead of Sabbath being a place or a time or a mindset in which the people could enjoy the goodness of God, Sabbath became another burden for the people. Sabbath became another way of controlling the people. I believe due to the stubbornness of the human heart, and its insistence on doing things its own way instead of God's way. Sabbath went from being something that was a beautiful expression of trust. It went from being something that was established in our lives to create order and boundaries so that we could economically and socially live in the fullness of that, all that God had for us. It went from being that to becoming just another way that people could be controlled and manipulated and burdened. And that certainly was the case when Jesus was on earth. If you read the book of Mark and the gospel of Mark, as you're reading the gospel of Mark, you'll quickly come to Mark chapter 2. And there's a series of miracles that Jesus does in Mark chapter 2. In the very last episode that we find there in Mark chapter 2, the Bible says that on a certain Sabbath day, Jesus was walking with his disciples. They were walking in a field. Uh, and when they were walking in the field, uh, they grabbed some grain and they began to eat the grain. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees, the self-imposed leaders of religion and law in that day, began to accuse Jesus and his disciples because they were breaking, according to them, they were breaking the Sabbath law because they had reached out and grabbed some grain to feed themselves on a Sabbath day. And the Pharisees said, you're breaking the law, you can't be the Messiah, you're clearly a false teacher because you can't work, you can't do any work on the Sabbath day. This had become a very big issue. In fact, if you read the Gospels, what you find out is that several times a part of the clash that Jesus had with the Pharisees was over Sabbath. 
They would get mad at him because he would heal people on the Sabbath. They accused him of being a false teacher and certainly not the Messiah, a son of Satan, because he healed people on the Sabbath, and you can't heal people on the Sabbath. How ridiculous is that? You can't heal people on the Sabbath. Clearly, Jesus, you're a false teacher. The Sabbath had become so legalistic in their heart that it, instead of being a blessing to the people, instead of being a day of refreshing, instead of being a day in which the people were renewed, it had become a way to control people. So this Sabbath day that God gave to us from the beginning, that he himself made holy, man had determined that he knew more about it, or at least religious people had determined that they knew more about it than God did. And that's what we read in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus' response to them. He says this, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So in other words, Jesus was saying to them, Sabbath was given to you as a gift. Sabbath was given to you as a gift. You as man were not created for keeping the Sabbath. Sabbath was given to you so that you could enjoy all that you were created for. And all that was created for you. But man, in his quest for self-righteousness, had turned what God intended to be a blessing into a curse. That's what the law always does. The law takes that which God intends to be a blessing, and all it does is demonstrate the curse of our brokenness. Jesus and his ministry was attacked because Jesus said, listen, I'm not going to not heal people on the Sabbath. I'm not going to take grain if I'm walking by and I'm hungry on the Sabbath. But see, that's what self-righteousness does. Self-righteousness twists the heart of God and turns it into something that manipulates and controls and ultimately seeks not just to control people, but to control God also. The Sabbath had become this instrument of self-righteousness for the Pharisees, whereby they would say to God, God, we've kept all the law of the Sabbath, so you are obligated to bless us. You are obligated to protect us. You are God, you are obligated to do what I want you to do because I have kept the Sabbath. Sabbath had become what, about what man did instead of what God had done. Genesis chapter 2, what do we read? Or Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God looks at what he has done and he says, it's good, let's enjoy it. Sabbath was about what God had done. Sabbath was not about what man would do. Oh, that is good. We got to get it. When we make Sabbath about what we do, we miss the point. In fact, any of God's commands for our life, anything that God has given us, when we make our relationship with God about what we do, and then we have the audacity to somehow or another feel like we can obligate God based on our activity, we are completely missing the point of our relationship with God from the beginning. Our relationship with God from the beginning is, look at this, this is good, let's stop and enjoy it. And in our enjoying it, we're going to be refreshed and we're going to be renewed so that we can enjoy it even more. But they had made Sabbath, they had made the festivals, they had made the seventh year and the 49th year all about this way in which they would control other people and they would control God 
as with everything God teaches us, there are practical implications of Sabbath, and we're going to talk about that. There are actual boundaries, but, but you have to understand, it's always about the heart. Sabbath, Selah, is about the heart. It is about a heart that acknowledges who God is. The Pharisees had become experts in keeping the law, but their practice was about, was about achieving righteousness through their own right behavior. Instead of allowing their behavior to be dictated because they trusted God, instead of allowing their Sabbath to be enjoyed because they were acknowledging all that God had done for them, them. Instead of allowing their economics, and Sabbath has everything to do with economics, instead of allowing their culture and their society to be ruled and reigned by the law of God and the ways of God, instead what they had done is they had twisted it and they said, God, we do these things and so therefore you have to do these things for us. They weren't believing him. They weren't embracing the boundaries that he had set for their life. Instead, they were using those boundaries as a lever for themselves and for others. Every time, get this, every time we do something to get something from God, instead of doing something because what God has done for us, we miss the point. We lose the benefit and we walk away from the blessing. Let me say this again. You've got to get it because it challenges our theology. It challenges what many of us have been taught by false preachers and false religion. Every time we do something to get something from God, instead of doing something because of what God has done for us, we miss the point. We lose the benefit and we walk away from the blessing. Sabbath was not about doing something to please God. It was about doing something because God was pleased with us. Sabbath was not about doing something to make God happy. Sabbath was about the fact that God looked at you and he looked at me and he looked at all of creation and he was happy and he wanted to enjoy it and he wanted to invite you and I to enjoy it with him. Most of us, many of us in this room, have spent our lives trying to make God happy. We spend our lives doing all of this stuff to get his attention and to move his hand on our behalf. And yet scripture teaches us over and over and over again, he's already moved on our behalf. He's already created all things and it is good, including you and including me. Now, of course, we know that sin messed all of that up, but God didn't leave us in that state. You keep reading Genesis chapter 3. Even God knew that everything that was good was going to be broken, but he didn't leave us there. He had a plan. He said, I'm going to restore Sabbath. I'm going to restore rest. I'm going to step into your existence, and I'm going to set it in order again because I want you to enjoy my rest. Selah. Number two is a mindset that understands the special relationship we have with God. God called the children of Israel to, to participate in Sabbath 
on the seventh day of the week, the seventh year, the 49th year. He called them to this pattern of rest with the festivals. He called them to this lifestyle because he wanted them to understand in their minds, in their hearts, in their spirit that this was about the special relationship that he had with them. Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 and 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Oh, you got to get this. On the seventh day, God stopped and said, let's take it all in. This is good. Guitar solo time. Let's enjoy this. In fact, I'm going to call this holy because the goodness of what has been done is holy. Then what does he do? He says, come, enter into this rest. And in this rest, what am I going to do? I'm going to make you holy. When you get to come and you get to enjoy this special place with me where we embrace all that is good, you yourselves enter into and enjoy this holiness. And he says to the Israelites, he says, you're to keep these seventh day a week Sabbaths. You're to keep these festivals. You're to keep this seventh year pattern, this 49th year pattern, because it's going to be, it's going to be a sign to you, to your children, to all the nations that you are my covenant people and that I am your covenant God. You're going to teach your kids what it means to live in the goodness of God because you're going to stop and you're going to rest and you're going to refresh. You're going to live at peace. Your kids are going to know what it means to live in the kingdom because they're going to see mom and dad every week walk with a confidence and a peace and an assurance and the kind of people who celebrate goodness. Your kids are going to learn what it means to live in the kingdom because they're going to watch your pattern. You're going to teach yourself because of the discipline of the boundary of Sabbath, socially, economically, and practically through your time every week. You're going to teach yourself the goodness of being in relationship with God. And you're going to teach the nations, you're going to teach the nations the blessing of being the people of God because they're going to watch you. They're going to watch you as you sit on the seventh day, you sit down from your work and they're still hustling. And somehow or another, you're still fed. They're going to watch you on the seventh year when you pack all the mules in and you take the plows into the barn and you stop plowing the field every seven years. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. And they're going to wonder, how is this nation surviving? How are they surviving when they didn't plant any crops on the seventh year? Every 49th year, when you look around at everybody in your community and you say, all of your debts are gone. When all of your debt, how is the economy of this nation supposed to survive when it lives out the justice and the goodness of God and every 49 years cancels everybody's debt and releases all the slaves? The nations are going to look at you and they're going to be envious of you because you're blessed when you're not participating in their economy. Oh, I can't wait to preach to you about the economy of Sabbath next Sunday. Because the nations are going to look at you and they're going to say, it doesn't make sense. But it makes sense because it's not about us. 
It's not about what we do or what we've done. It's about God, and he is good. And what he has made is sufficient and enough. And whether I sow or I don't sow, he's still my God. He's still my supply. Whether I'm in the field or I'm not in the field doesn't make any difference because he's still God and he's still my supply. Now, now don't get me wrong. The whole idea of Sabbath is tied up into work. God set a rhythm of work and rest. I've said this many times from this pulpit. God created you for rest, but he also created you for work. There's some of us who are addicted to work, and this message about Sabbath is learning that we can set and we can can enjoy God's rest. But some of us are addicted to rest. And we need to learn that that God created us for a rhythm of work and rest. You can't have rest unless you have work. God's pretty clear about that. But see, Sabbath, Sabbath is a state of mind. It's a state of mind that I'm at peace because of whose I am. I'm going to teach it to myself through the, through the rhythm of Sabbaths. I'm going to teach it to my children. I'm going to teach it to the nations. I rest because of whose I am. I, I cease from working because of whose I am. I, I give. I give not so that I can get. I give because of whose I am. I'm generous because of whose I am. I don't strive because of whose I am. Sila is a state of living in that space outside of our labor, enjoying God's provision. Yes, God created us for work, but he also created us to pause, to be refreshed, to reset. And Sila life is about a, it's about a lifestyle. It's about a place where I can stop my work, my striving, because my confidence is in a God who has called me good and he called me his and invited me to join him. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 says this, therefore since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. He's talking about the religious people, it was no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Remember, Sabbath, Selah, is not about the law. It's about faith. It's about stopping by faith to enjoy what is. That God in his might and his power created. God didn't need a break on day seven Because he was physically tired. God took a break on day seven because it is good. And he's calling you and he's calling me to a place where we can embrace it is good. I ask you to close your eyes for a moment. Father, I thank you for every one of my friends who are here today. Lord, I I do practically understand. I understand many of the difficulties that some of us are facing, many of the challenges that some of us are facing, the implications of another variant. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? 
We're so tired. We're so weary. We're so disappointed in so many things. And yet, in spite of all of that, you loved us enough to invite us to come and rest. It's not about a certain day of the week. It's not about a certain kind of activity or not activity. It's not about that. What it's about is a mind and a heart that rests in a God who has created all things and called them good. Lord, forgive us for all the things that we have done, all the striving that we have done to try to move you. God, you've already moved on our behalf and you don't have to do anything else because everything you've already done is good. Lord, I pray that you heal us. Heal us from our performance mentality. Heal us of the wounds of false teaching that has painted a picture of a God who is a task master up in heaven driving us instead of the the truth of scripture of a father who loves us enough, who yes, practically calls us to work, but patiently and lovingly calls us to rest. Lord, for those who may be in this place this morning who are disturbed, their lives are in upheaval, they're caught in places where they're striving and working and trying so hard. For those of us who may have come in need today, maybe we're in need economically in our jobs and in, in, in our finances. Maybe we're in need today physically because we're dealing with sickness or disease or we're just weary. Maybe we're in need socially in our family and in our relationships. Just as the writer of Hebrews called the people to rest God, I pray by your spirit, you call us right now into your rest. In your rest, there is provision. In your rest, there is provision for our financial needs. In your rest, there is provision for our healing. In your rest, there is provision for restoration of relationship. Lord, I pray that you begin to do miracles right now in Jesus' name. Not because of anything that we have done, but because you are good. And because all that you've done is good. God, I pray for miracles in our bodies right now because you've provided for healing and it is the children's bread. I pray for miracles in our relationship right now because you are a God who reconciles all things. Lord, I ask you, begin to move by your hand begin to move by your mighty hand in the name of Jesus.